0: want to talk about a subject that we left off this morning in the message with. And if you want, we can begin there and then we'll end there, okay? Go with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I titled tonight, Suffering Has Purpose. Okay? If you want to uh, if you tune into to any uh, worldly TV evangelist program, they probably will not preach this message, okay? They're probably going to tell you if you send them uh, your prayer need and call their hotline, they're going to pray that you don't have to suffer no more. And they're going to say that any suffering is from the devil and that any kind of hardships from him and every time anybody goes through hardship nowadays the very first thing the pastor says is well this is an attack from the enemy but notice the disciples never spoke that way the apostles never spoke that way As a matter of fact, they didn't pray that their suffering would end. They just prayed that they would endure the suffering and glorify God in the midst of the suffering. Amen. So I titled tonight, Suffering Has a Purpose. Amen. Amen. So we're going to start at verse 7. Well, maybe we'll go back. Let's start at verse 1. I want to give full context of what Paul is speaking about, okay? I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by itself, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven, whether in the body or in Uh, Out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. And he heard these things that cannot be told. He heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me and hears of me. Now I'm going to stop right there. Most, most TV preachers are not going to stop boasting about their self they won't refrain from boasting about their self because they want you to have a higher idea of them than they really are. See the difference? See Paul's, the difference in how Paul spoke was, I don't want you to look at me like that. He said, I don't want you to see me in any other fashion than how I really am with you and when I'm, ministering to you, you see me plainly and not got some lofty opinion of me. He said, I'm going to boast in my weakness. But if I did want to boast, I could boast. And it wouldn't be a lie. It would be the truth. But I refrain. He said, I refrain. I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me so now I want you to notice there's a reason here so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations a thorn was given to me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited come on With weakness, with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now this is the verses that we left off with this morning. And the reason I'm bringing it up tonight is because I want to tear down an idea that somehow God does not allow these things in our life. Somehow God wouldn't do that. Somehow in Jesus, God changes his mind and doesn't allow calamity to come upon people. But this all stems from the false ideas that we have about the atonement. The reality is Jesus Christ paid the price for my sins and for me to have eternal life. Jesus Christ did not pay the price for me to have a mansion. Right. Jesus Christ did not pay the price that I would never go through any struggles, never go through any trials, never go through any hardships. That's a lie. And every time you talk about a struggle or a, a, a hardship that you're going through nowadays in the American Oh, super spiritual, I can do more things than the apostles of the New Testament could do. They start telling you how you got a lack of faith and they start telling you how, uh, you know, you don't have to do that. That you don't have to go through that because Jesus made a way so you don't have to suffer like that. That's not what the New Testament says. Jesus himself said in this world, you will have tribulations. What does that mean? tribulations. He's not just talking about people treating you bad. Circumstances are not going to go your way. Things are not going to go according to your plan. They're not going to go the way you think they ought to go. It's so funny that people have this false identity about how the apostles operated. They act like the apostles walked around like a lot of these people in the uh, New Testament uh, miracle healing places where they just walked around and, in, in a cloud and a daze and they're just walking around and in the Holy Ghost and then they just touch people. That ain't even how it worked. Peter was just walking down the road. He was headed somewhere else when his shadow fell on people and healed them. He wasn't out ministering. He was walking. He was just going somewhere. He was going from one place to the other and his shadow hit somebody and boom, they were healed. But he wasn't walking around in this false identity that people portray the apostles to have where they walked around pseudo-spiritual with their eyes closed down the street. Oh, I sense somebody needs help over here. And it wasn't like that. Peter didn't know that guy by the gate called Beautiful needed help before he got there. He didn't. He didn't have some sixth sense about it. He didn't have some charismatic superpower. All he did was go to walk into the temple, into the city, and the man was begging for gold. And Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. You see that? These same men that we think walked around in this abundant, powerful, supernatural excellence were all murdered, were all killed for their faith. They weren't men of stature. They didn't have influence. They weren't great orators. They were simple people proclaiming Christ. That was it. And we've made something into them and we've tried to remanufacture this kind of pseudo-spiritual high point. That people now try to get to, and say this is how the apostles did it. I heard something a few weeks back, and somebody said, "We're going to call down these strongholds, and we're praying against these strongholds, and we're going to tear dominions down, and we're tearing walls down, and we're." Di- I want I I dare you to go read the, the book of Acts and see if any one of the apostles spoke that way not one time not once but we make it that way and we pretend that godliness and we pretend that doing good works and we pretend at having some kind of authority You know, I heard this one just the other day. And I'm sorry, if you actually believe this, there's a problem with the way you think about Christ and what he did. Here's what I heard the other day. Jesus relinquished his authority and gave it to us. No, Jesus didn't relinquish anything. Jesus is still sitting on the throne. He still has the name above every name. All, all power in heaven and in earth has been given to him, not you. It's not at the name of Kyle or the name of Judy or the name of Carmen that demons have to flee. It's not at the name of of Kevin or Carmen or Kyle that. Sin and sickness or anything has to flee. It's at the name of Jesus. And we have people who have an idea that somehow Jesus passed all his authority off onto us, which is not true. It's not true. Did he give us the authority to go and preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel? Yes, he did. Did he give us the authority and the power to be just like him? Jesus wants us to be conformed into his image, but we are not Christ. And he did not. I do not walk around in my own person just because I know Jesus. I do not walk around in all of his authority and all of his power. That would be like saying that a person that is sent from a king. Let me tell you something. Let's, let's talk about it in manner of kings and messengers. Because we're on this earth as messengers to proclaim the gospel. But if a messenger came from the queen of England What's he coming for? Well, first of all, for whatever the queen sent him for. Okay? But when he gets here, he cannot do what he wants to do. He has to do what he was sent to do and nothing else. Why? Because he's not the queen of England. And let me tell you something. If any of us think that we are above or on par or equal to Christ just because he said go into all the world preach the gospel you have a very misunderstood version of what Jesus did because we are messengers and we don't get to do what we want to do we have to do what he sent us to do And that's the authority we have. And that's the authority we have to operate in. And if we try to step outside of that authority, we are no longer walking in the will of God. But our own will and our own purpose. Paul warns in the Corinthians, he says, do not go beyond what scripture says. What does that mean, pastor? Well, that means if I didn't see the apostles walking around like crazy lunatics, then I probably shouldn't either. Does that mean I have to give up with the understanding that there's a spirit of discernment, spirit of the word of knowledge, word of wisdom? No! But it doesn't mean I have to act like a complete retard and lunatic about it either and think it's all about me and i got this anointing and i got this gift. Okay? Because... When I read my Bible, I don't see the apostles. I don't see Peter. I don't see Paul. I don't see James. I don't see any of them acting like we see people act nowadays. I'll give you a perfect example. (laughs) When you hear people say one thing, Like they know God's will. And then something completely different happens. You can stop listening to that person. Okay. Just stop listening. Because they don't. They did not hear from God. They are not hearing from God. The reality is when God really speaks. It happens. And if it doesn't happen. It wasn't God. That would shut a lot of stuff down. If we went back to the Old Testament where we started stoning prophets every time they was wrong, I bet a whole bunch of people would start shutting up. You want to shut up false prophets? Start making consequences come back for being a false prophet. Start excommunicating people from the church. Start throwing them out. Start standing up to them in public and saying, hey, that wasn't from God. But we don't do that anymore in the church because we don't want to offend anybody. Even though we're commanded. Matter of fact, pastors are told to do it. Pastors are told. If if someone stood up in the middle of the service and said, this is what God says. And we all and everybody in the room goes, this is not from God. We're supposed to say something. As a pastor, I'm obligated to say, no, that's not true. And here's what God's word says. Amen. Amen trying to make a point and the point is this is that most of the time modern american christianity teaches that suffering is always from the devil and it doesn't have any purpose at all but god says that suffering helps glorify him why because when i am weak and everybody around me knows i'm weak knows my flaws Knows the things going on in me. Yet they hear God speaking. Using me to proclaim his message. Working in me. Then God's getting glorified. Even in the midst of weakness. Especially in the midst of weakness. What does it take? To say, I believe in God when everything's going good. It's real easy. It's real easy to be like, yeah, bless God, I'm blessed and highly favored and I'm above only and not beneath and praise God, here I am, right? But what do you do when the doctor says, you got this? Do you start going, well, I just don't have any faith and oh my God, why would God do this to me? I told you the story. I'm going to tell it again, and I think some people on Facebook need to hear this, that when I got diagnosed with diabetes back in May, they, left, they, they took me out of that room that, they were, that I was in when they told me I had it, and they stuck me in a waiting room to go in there to get blood work done. And I'm sitting in there getting anxious, going, oh, no, my whole life's fixing to change, you know? Everything, this is terrible. And I could have had the same thought that you guys had. I could have had the same thought that most everybody has. Oh, God, why are you doing this to me? But you know what? For three months, God had been having me preach about his sovereignty. About how he's in control of everything, okay? Not just the good things in my life, but he's there in the bad times of my life. He's there with me in the valleys, just like he's there with me in the. In, and not only is he there, God has ordained every step of my life. So if I understand that God's in control, when I was diagnosed with with diabetes, I, I, I had, was challenged. Am I going to believe What I know the word of God says about God being sovereign, God being in control, that God works all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Do I really believe that or am I going to panic and act like somehow God missed it and allowed something on me that he didn't know was coming? God allowed me to get sick when, you know, he already made a way. I shouldn't have been sick. You see how your theology starts going haywire at that point, because the reality is, if God is really in control and He ordered, and if the righteous, uh, if the steps of a righteous man are ordered of God, then me being a man who's accounted as righteous because of Jesus Christ, when when troubles or persecutions or sickness comes my way, I can't go, "Whoa, God, you missed it here." So I sat in that waiting room, and I had a moment. Probably about 20 seconds where I started to get some anxiety and some fear, some trepidation crept into my mind. And I had that moment where, do you believe what you've been telling the whole church to believe? So I was sitting right there in that waiting room and I started praying. And when I prayed, I didn't say, God, heal me. God, do this. I said, Lord, thank you for counting me worthy to endure this suffering. And I pray God that in the midst of diabetes you'll glorify yourself in me. I know that's foreign. That's foreign to our way of thinking. But I challenge you. Paul was shipwrecked. Beaten. Starved, set in prison, cold, naked, a hungered, all of those things. Yet he writes these words, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions. And calamities. Notice calamities are a wide range of things. Amen. Would you consider pestilence or disease a calamity? Yeah. Things outside of Paul's control. Well, he didn't have anything outside of his control. He walked in dominion power. Sure he did. With the gospel, earthly, he was in prison for five years. (laughs) Dominion. Do you see the difference? Because nowadays, we'd call any preacher that went to jail, he should have just followed the rules. we'd probably send him letters and tell him how we're praying for him. But, you know, if he'd have really, really been following God, he would have, wouldn't have ended up there. Why? You know, apostles got authority and power. They can call down strongholds and they can call up strongholds. You show me that in the Bible. That doesn't say anything about an apostle doing that. God makes decrees. God calls down strongholds. God Does those things. And never once says that we do. It says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But they are mighty. To the pulling down of strongholds. Notice he didn't say you pulled down the strongholds. He said the weapons do. Why? Because the weapons aren't yours. Weapons are Christ. You're saved by grace. Through faith. Not in yourself. But in Christ. Why? Because you were powerless to sin. You were powerless to to live your life for Christ. You had to have God's help. And then suddenly inside Christ, you think you can do it all by yourself. That doesn't make any sense. Paul said, I am content. Turn with me to James chapter 1. I'm going to show you that I'm not losing my mind. I'm going to show you that this is biblical. That it's more biblical than the idea that God doesn't want anything bad to happen to you. When I read this verse, people are going to go, yeah, but. I want you to say your yeah, buts" for just a minute, okay? James, chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now I want to start with this. First, there's a call to understand suffering from the vantage point of the confidence we must have in God's sovereignty. He says, count it all joy. How am I going to do that? What happened if we had a prayer line and when they get up there with their problem, we said, count it all joy. I'm about to lose my car. I'm about to lose my house. We're about to get kicked out. You've heard all these stories in prayer lines, right? I'm telling you, I need a new job, I need a better job, I need this job. Notice that all the prayers are for things that Jesus told us not to worry about. Don't pray for, he said, don't worry about what you're going to eat, or what you're going to wear, or what you're going to drink. Your Heavenly Father knows you have need of these things. And then he said, whatever you ask of my Father, he'll give to you. And Every one of us have been guilty of praying for things that Jesus told us not to worry about. So what are we supposed to pray for? The work of the gospel at work in men's hearts. How about lost folks all in this town who need Jesus? How about people who don't know the gospel truth? How about those who are really suffering for their faith in Christ. How about we pray for them? Amen? Notice that's what the Bible does. Let's talk about Galatians. I want to go to Galatians real quick. Talk about the armor of God, okay? I want to show you something. I want to show you one little thing here in Galatians when he's talking about the armor of God. Is it Galatians or Ephesians? That's what I was saying. I got there and couldn't find it, so I figured I was wrong. It happens. Yeah. Now watch this. I want you to notice this. Finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. This is verse 10. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against principality, uh, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day of evil. Having done all to stand, stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of the gospel of peace. In all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Now we've talked about this over and over and over. The armor of God is always thought of as some suit of armor that I'm putting on to go out there and wage war. In my everyday life. While that is true. It's not. A suit of armor. In the way that you're thinking of it. And you. Are not in control. Of the suit of armor. Every single piece. Of the word. Of the suit of armor. Is Christ. Truth. Here's a couple things for you. Jesus Christ came full of grace and truth. Amen. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Father, sanctify them by your truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus is truth. So the reality is when I'm praying, which is the whole meaning of the armor of God is for prayer, I have to understand who Jesus truly is. I don't have to understand who I truly am because I'm supposed to be dead. I died in Christ. And it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't control it. It's not about me. It's about Christ. And Christ in me is my hope of glory. Amen? Amen? breastplate of righteousness I sure hope none of us are judged by our own righteousness because every single person on the planet will split hell wide open there's only one righteousness that gets me to heaven and that's the righteousness of God that's in Christ Jesus him who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him That it be accounted unto us as righteousness. I'm not righteous in myself. I'm righteous because of Christ. The breastplate of righteousness. Now watch this. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What is that? I'm always ready to share Jesus. The good news. What is the gospel? The good news. What is this peace that he's talking about? The peace is this. That we are no longer enemies of God. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, he loved us and gave himself for us. That's the good news. That when I was dead in my trespasses and sin, he made me alive in Christ Jesus up the shield of faith why the shield of faith because if your faith is in anything else other than Christ you're not going to win anyway you have no hope of shattering or extinguishing any flaming darts of the wicked one if your faith is in you instead of Christ your faith better be in Jesus because if it's not your faith is in the wrong place. John 3:18 this is the condemnation that has come into the world. All those who believe are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already. The understanding is my faith in Christ is what shields me. Notice, if I wasn't in a battle, I wouldn't need a shield. There's a whole lot of Christians trying to pray their way out of trouble, try to pray their way out of hardship that God intends to use to make them more like Christ. Notice what James says. We'll flip back there to James and then we'll move on. I want you to notice what James says here in chapter one. He says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith equals perseverance. Amen. Testing of your faith produces steadfastness or perseverance. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You want to know why so many Christians are not Perfect not complete and lack everything because they're trying to pray away circumstances that God keeps bringing back into their life to change them to mold them to teach them some perseverance to teach them some steadfastness people always go I love to be like so and so and I love to be like Sister so-and-so. I know one of the greatest ladies that we know. Lover. Judy Mustang. Everybody's like, man, I love Judy. Love to be like Judy. Well, Judy didn't get there overnight. And Judy had to go through a whole lot of uncomfortableness. Stuff that we would say, oh man, I can't believe the enemy done that. I think we give the devil too much credit. Because God used all kinds of things to convert, to conform, and to change his people. Look at Peter. I want you to think about if this was you. Think of the most spiritual person you know that you want to be like. And Jesus walked up to him and said, hey, Mike, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. I can tell what, you know, if Peter would have lived in the 20th century, 21st century. He would have looked right at Jesus and said, you told him no, right? You told him no. You told him he couldn't do that to me because I'm your child. You told him he wasn't allowed to do that because I'm walking in your blessing because I'm saved and I'm redeemed. You told him not to do that, right? That ain't what Jesus said. Jesus said, but don't worry. I pray for you. And when thou art converted, Amen? Jesus didn't stop Satan from sifting Peter like wheat. Do you understand me? And if you think you're better than Peter, there's a problem with your theology too. You're no better than him. Jesus said they hated me, they're going to hate you. Be weary, wary of everybody liking you. That don't mean anything. Nothing. Testing produces perseverance. And perseverance produces mature Christians. You know why we got churches filled with babies that cry every time something happens? Because they're not willing to go through. And they keep trying to go around or go over instead of going through the very thing that God put in their place, put in their path, so that they can learn perseverance, steadfastness. It's easy to trust God when everything is going good. You really know who trusts God when things are going bad and they still trust God. Amen. Romans 5. I've got more. Romans 5 verse 3 through 5. I'm going to start at the very beginning. Okay. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now watch this. Not only that but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance or patience and patience produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see this? We rejoice in suffering. Why? Why? Because this is how I'm changed. This is how I'm molded and shaped. How are you going to learn to trust God if everything's always going good? You're not trusting God when everything's going good. You're just benefiting from him blessing you. You learn to trust God when there isn't a blessing. You learn to trust God when everything's not going your way. Why do you think God kept having to take Israel back into captivity, back into bondage, so they could get their eyes focused back on him, focused on trusting him? Why do you think God got Israel out of Egypt yet made them wander in the wilderness where he fed them birds and manna and water from a rock? They all kept the same shoes, they all kept the same clothes for 40 years. That's when you learn to trust God in the wilderness. In the times of lack, in the times of hurt, in the times of despair, that's when we learn to trust God. And then you get a bunch of pseudo-spiritual Christians nowadays that say, God would never do that to anybody, Pastor. Are you telling me God would put sickness on somebody? I'm telling you God might allow it. Look at Job. You tell me God wouldn't allow it. And Job lost all his children, all his farm animals. His wife lost everything, boils on his skin. That was God's plan. How do I know it was God's plan? Because the devil didn't come up and ask for Job. That's not how the story reads. Go read the story. The devil came up with all the other angels. And first of all, everybody goes, Well, the devil couldn't go up up there in God's presence. Well, explain to me how he did in the book of Job. Because he did. And he came right up there. Coming from... Rome in the earth, it says. He came from Rome in the earth and he came up in the fore, before the presence of God with all the other angels and God looked at Satan and he said, Have you considered my servant Job? Satan hadn't even asked for Job. The devil didn't even say anything about Job. God brought Job up. Why? Because God knew there was things in Job... That needed to come out of Job. God knew that the only way. That he could prove Job. And try Job. And see that Job. Was who he. Was meant to be. Was to put him in the fire. But we don't think. Somehow that that God's different. In the New Testament. Yet when. Jesus looks at Peter and says, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Most of us would go, Well, God, you wouldn't do that. You didn't say yes, did you, God? You told him no, right, Jesus? Nope. I prayed for you. Peace with God is needed. Before we can learn to trust God. Notice that before he says we. We joy in our sufferings. He says therefore since we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God. What's the peace with God that he's talking about? Well if you read verse 11 it says this. More than that we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have now received reconciliation what does that word reconciliation mean that means i'm now at peace with god i'm reconciled back unto god amen that's what he's talking about i gotta have that i gotta have the born again experience I'm going to challenge you with this. I think there's so many people in the church who are not actually Christians, who are not actually born again. That's why they freak out instead of trust God. Because they don't feel like they have peace with God. Otherwise, if I... Felt like I had peace with God. I could trust God in the midst of any circumstance. It didn't matter if I was in the belly of a whale. It didn't matter if I was in the fire of Nebuchadnezzar. It didn't matter if I was in the lion's den. It didn't matter if I was... Do you see a pattern here? Didn't matter if I was facing a giant 12 foot tall and I was some little shepherd boy. It didn't matter. Didn't matter if I'm Nehemiah. Didn't matter if I'm Gideon. You realize the Lord had Gideon get his whole army ready and then whittled it down to 300 men and then not one of them swung a sword. Not one of them. Not one of them fought a battle that day. God did all of it. The reality is God has appointed us trials and troubles and hardship that we have to go through. And when we go through them, we're either going to go through them questioning God. Or we're going to go through them trusting God and believing that God is still in control. Even in the midst of my trouble. Somehow Christians think God just fell asleep. That's why this stuff's going on. He didn't hear my prayer. I didn't pray right. I didn't have enough faith. Never even comes across their radar that maybe God wanted you to go through this. So that you could learn to be perfect. Lacking. Lacking nothing amen Amen. couple closing verses here 2nd Corinthians chapter 12 we talked about it already but I wanted to reiterate this one just a little bit 2nd Corinthians 12 verse 10 huh I'm going to say it I told you we were going to begin here and end here. For the sake of Christ then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamity. For when I am weak then I am strong. And you can go to 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12 through 19. Romans 12, 9 through 21. And you can find the same type of wording. As a matter of fact, I said we wasn't going to end there, but I might just go over here and read 1 Peter, just just so you know that I'm being on the up and up here. 1 Peter, this is Peter, the apostle that walked with Jesus Christ, amen? Walked with him. Starting at verse 12, chapter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange was happening to you. Notice that even in this day, people started this nonsense. Why is God doing this to me? Notice his wording. Do not be surprised when fiery trials come to test you as if something strange is happening. Why did he say that? Because the same God in the Old Testament that tested his people time and time and time and time again is the same God of the New Testament. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am the Lord thy God. I change not. He didn't change. He didn't stop being God and turn into some other weaker version of God in the New Testament. He's still God. He said, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed now watch this i want to be real careful when i read this because i want everybody to get it if you are insulted for the name of christ you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of god rests upon you but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evil doer or as a busybody. yet if anyone suffers as a christian let him not be ashamed but let him glory let him glorify God in that name for it is time for judgment to begin in the house of God if it begins with us how will the how will uh, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God and if the righteous is scarcely saved what will become of the ungodly and the sinner therefore let us Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I want you to get all the wording in there. First of all, some people whine and complain about suffering that they brought on their self. You're not suffering persecution or, 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 or. Judgment, if what you did was wrong. If what you did was wrong, you're suffering consequences for wrong actions. And it does not glorify God when you try to act like what you're going through is some kind of martyrdom, even though you're breaking the very law of God in the first place. Okay? We all know people who have done evil, done wrong, done sin, and then when somebody said something to them, they act like the victim because you shouldn't say that to me. Well, I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to lie to you, and love does not rejoice in the wrong. It rejoices in the truth. So I can't lie to you and say your sin is okay. I won't do it. Amen? Amen? Solomon did say better is open love or open rebuke than hidden love. Because the reality is I'd rather somebody tell me when I'm wrong than lie to me and pretend to be loving me while allowing me to continue to sin. So the suffering that we're talking about here is not suffering that is my own doing for my own sin. Amen. He's talking about actually suffering. For Christ. Amen? Amen. Now when he says this. I want you to notice the last verse. He says therefore. Let those who suffer according to God's will. I'm going to stop right there. What's King James say. How does it read there. Verse 19. Yep. Didn't change the meaning at all, did it? Let them who suffer according to the will of God. If you read this in a modern church service where God wills anybody to suffer, they'd try to stone you because they'd act like you was preaching some false doctrine even though you're reading it right out of the text. In context... I'm not just reading it out of the text. I'm reading it in the context of the text. It means exactly what we're saying right now. That God has a purpose for suffering. That there's a reason he allows these things to go on. That's so that I can be conformed into the image of Christ. So that I can learn perseverance. So that I can learn patience and hope. So that I can understand that in all those things, I need to learn to be content. Because in doing good, even through the midst of bad situations, I bring glory to God. Amen? That's the point. But if I whine and cry and play the victim card, I'm not bringing glory to God. Buckle up your chin straps. Pull up your britches. This is a big boy game. All of us have to grow up in Christ and put away childish ideas. Amen? And the grown idea of following Christ is that in the midst of any circumstance, I need to learn to be content. I need to learn to trust God. I need to be like God I don't just believe you're on the throne when everything's going good. I believe you're on the throne when everything's going bad. I believe when things are going on in my life that I don't necessarily like, that feel bad, that feel terrible. You're still there. You're still in charge. And if I'm a righteous man, you're ordering my steps. So if, you're, if this is the next step, I'll take it. That's the decision I had to make back in May. Do so I walk around in self pity and wallow in sorrow? Call everybody and say, Oh, please pray for me. Oh, I can't believe the enemy's attacking me. Or I could rejoice that God saw fit that in the midst of suffering, he would glorify himself in me. There couldn't be any greater accomplishment in my life than to say yep I got diabetes and God's being glorified all the way through it why because he's teaching Kevin how to persevere he's teaching me how to become patient he's teaching me how to be steadfast amen amen and in the middle of it, it's all God. Because in my weakness, he's strong. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you and praise you, God, for your grace, for your mercy, God, that you pour out on us in Christ Jesus Lord, I thank you that even in the midst of the fire, even in the midst of the flood, even in the midst of terrible circumstances, you are in control. And we can trust you. We can believe you. We can believe that you have a end, an expected purpose for everything that we go through. And God, please help us to not let our circumstances determine when we are faithful and when we trust you. But help us to understand the meaning of faith that we can truly put on Christ and the whole armor of God. The helmet of salvation And the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. That you would build that faith up in us. That we can trust you. Even in the storm. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.